Well, we're going to do, uh, uh, we're going to be uh, at the end of uh, chapter uh, 2 right here in verse 18 of the book of Revelation. And if you need a Bible, Kate will get you a Bible, so raise your hand and he'll bring you one. But um, uh, let's just uh, remind ourselves where we've been so far. Uh, We started this study by saying there were basically four different views of how to interpret uh, the book of Revelation and really uh, prophecy in general, the preterist view, the, histor- uh, the history view or historic view, the poetic view, and the view that we take and hold, uh, the futurist view. Uh, this approach, this um, view uh, has us begin uh, here in the Bible uh, looking at, or here in the book of Revelation, looking at the uh, 19th chapter of the first verse, or the first, <laughs> the 19th verse of the first chapter. Sorry, I got it backwards. It says, write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. In, in, in fact, uh, God gives us a divine outline of the book of Revelation. And if you're uh, studying from a futurist point of view, it makes uh, the book really understandable. And I think it's the correct view, and I think it's um, uh, a view that helps us uh, as we look at this outline to uh, read and study the book of Revelation. What do I mean? Well, uh, chapter 1. Chapter 1 is the write the things which you have seen, he tells John. So chapter 1, he's seen the resurrected, glorified Jesus Christ, and he writes it down. And you and I read it. And then he says, Uh, the things which are, right? The things which are. What are the things which are currently or was current to him? There were churches, and he was uh, intimately involved with these churches here in Asia Minor or Turkey. And so he wrote those down, and he wrote those down in chapters 2 and 3. So we see the glorified, resurrected Jesus Christ in chapter 1. We see the churches that we're studying now, that were churches on a postal route. And if our folks have it back there and can bring it up on the screen and show us the postal route, that's great. If not, I didn't warn them. So that's my fault. But, oh, they have it. So great. So it's a postal route. And uh, you know, we talked about this, there's other uh, churches that were famous that aren't up there, that Jesus, uh, you know, he gave this the vision about the, to these churches, but he left some out. And why is that? Well, Jesus knew exactly what each church needed, and we believe he's describing uh, number seven, the number of completion. He's describing, we think, the, also the different church ages that move along with each church. Here's what I mean. These letters, or these, uh, these writings that uh, Jesus is delivering to John, and John is writing down to these seven churches that we contain, in, or that are contained in chapter 2, uh, they apply to that church at that time. That's what was going on at the church. But they also apply to all churches for all time. And so they're a great thing for us to study. Oh, by the way, Uh, What Jesus was saying, because you are the church, they apply to you also personally. But there's one other thing we've been tracking so far. Do you remember what it is? These churches, this is what I was trying to say earlier, but not very artfully. (laughs) These churches and the things that Jesus say about them seem to be representing a period of church history that started when Jesus was here. What do I mean? Well, Ephesus, if you uh, track with this, seems to be and seems to go along with about A.D. 33 when Jesus rose again until about A.D. 100 when there was this love and this excitement, but that love started to wane, and that was the church of Ephesus. And then Smyrna, we talked about this, seems to represent this period of time between A.D. 100 and A.D. 312, when there were 12, or excuse me, 10 waves of persecution by the Roman emperors against the Christians. Some people have estimated, listen to this now, some people have estimated that somewhere between 5 and 8 million Christians were murdered and killed during that period, which is an astounding number, right? Which means that the early church, by the power of the Holy Spirit, was really 
effective without Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or a phone, right? Which meant they were great at sharing the gospel personally. Well, Smyrna and the ten waves of persecution, Smyrna being a word for myrrh, the fragrance only comes when it's crushed. And oh, by the way, there was no uh, recommendations for improvement from the Lord for Smyrna. And they were really in the fire. Well, Pergamos, uh, it represents that time frame uh, when the church married politics or the world. That's when Constantine declared 312 A.D., runs to about 600 A.D. That's when Constantine ruled that Christianity was the official religion of the Roman Empire, which would have included these places, right? And we see uh, what happens uh, at Pergamos as they uh, cozy themselves up to the things of the world. Same thing can happen to you and I, and we talked about that. Now, tonight we're going to go through Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea, but let me get back to my outline. First chapter, glorified, resurrected Christ. Chapter 2 and 3, the things that are the church age. He writes, about the, he writes to the churches. It's the church age, folks. We're in the church age. But then we see in chapter 4, or or we don't see the church in chapter 4 or chapter 5. Why is that? Because after these things, a word uh, phrase called metatauta, what? After what things? After the church age. We see in chapters 4 and 5 the church in heaven during the tribulation period. How about this? Rome or Revelation, I keep wanting to say Romans. Revelation 6 through 19. Here, here we continue with our outline. Revelation 6 through 19 is the tribulation period. You won't be here if you're found in Christ. Because you'll be raptured before the tribulation period. You'll be in heaven, chapter 4 and 5, during that seven-year period of tribulation. Well, anyway, chapter 6 through 19 is the tribulation period. Middle of chapter 19, Jesus comes back with his saints, that's you and I, to rule and reign here on the earth. And chapter 20 is the establishment of the millennial kingdom. Chapters 21 and chapters 22 are the new heavens and the new earth. And that's the book of Revelation. That's the book of Revelation. But here's what we're going to do is we're going to turn back to chapter 2, verse 18. Now remember, uh, I got this from Halley's Bible commentary, not myself, but two are very good churches, Smyrna and Philadelphia. Two very bad, Sardis, Laodicea. There were three Uh, that are partly good, partly have uh, some difficulties. Ephesus, Pergamos, and Thyatira, right? And so that's what we're following along. We're we're tracking right now. We're tracking these churches. And now we, uh, because I was so lengthy last time and so ambitious, and I didn't get anywhere near where I wanted to get, uh, we stopped. I can't even believe it. We didn't even make it into the third chapter. We only stopped or got to Thyatira in verse 18. Is that right? Somebody's looking at me puzzled. Okay, yeah, that's what I thought. Okay, okay. so let's read it. Let's read Thyatira, and we'll see what this age represents, and we'll see what it means to us personally. Here's the word of the Lord, chapter 2, verse 18. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira, you see it up there, write, these things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire. He has eyes like a flame of fire, You know that from chapter 1, verse 14. I'm going to keep pointing it out. He keeps telling these churches the things that we saw in the first chapter, the glorified, resurrected uh, Jesus Christ. Well, a flame of fire, that was in 1.14. And his feet like fine brass, that was in 1.15. I know your works, your love, your service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman, Jezebel. You see, here's what I got to tell you. I just got to tell you. You got to know the Old Testament. 
you, you got to know the Old Testament. When we began this study, remember there's 20,000 some chapter or verses in the Old Testament. There's about 7,000 in the New Testament, folks. I'm not a real smart guy, but I know that that's a lot more than in the New. And if you don't get who Jezebel was, you'll never get what he's saying to this church right here. Well, Jezebel was who? She was the wife to Ahab and the kings in the book of Kings. And what did she want to do? She wanted to raise up Baal worship. So she had, listen to this, she had a bunch of prophets of Baal, and they came to fight against the great prophet of God. And they came at Mount Carmel, and do you remember this? You probably don't, because I didn't remember this. It said they had the prophets from the groves. Now that's important, because these pagan religions had uh, these things that were happening, I'll just say unmentionable things, on high places inside or protected by trees. And that was a form of worship for them. And in fact, the Bible tells us in 2 Kings that they, they came, this kind of worship came in to the temple of God behind curtains. And she instituted it. And she promoted it. You know what else she did? Do you remember this? Do you remember this? It's such a weird story that just puts a pit in your stomach. You, you want to say to yourself, how, about, how could people be so mean and yet... I've been this mean in my life. There's this uh, guy who has a vineyard beside the palace. And her husband goes out and looks at the vineyard and goes, I want that. Just for no reason. I just want it. And then, you know, uh, he, he tries to offer the guy some money for it and the guy won't take it. And this is so, the Bible's funny. The wimpy king goes into his bed. He puts his face against the wall and he mopes. And his wife comes in and he says, what are you moping about? He says, well, he won't give me the thing. And she says, he'll give it to you. He says, what do you mean? He says, trust me, he'll give it to you. If you want it, we'll get it. So what she does is uh, she forges some letters. She, it actually says that he t- she takes over his seal, the seal to his writing, writes some fake letters, trumps up some fake witnesses, and basically has the man killed and they take his his property. Remember that? Remember that? She was a person who was lusting after things and more stuff. And she was a person who uh, introduced uh, sexual immorality and uh, uh, improper worship. If uh, Improper is like not even a, a, a significant enough word into the family of God and even into the house of God. Well, here it says, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, notice she's not a prophetess, she calls herself a prophetess, only God raises up prophets or prophetesses, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Now, apparently, somebody in Thyatira, there was a lady, probably, that this represents, who was going around and introducing this into the church. By the way, uh, we don't really know much about this church other than, do you remember that Lydia was from there? And Lydia had a dye, a purple dye-making business. And when the uh, apostles went over to that area, uh, you know, they, they saw Lydia and she was praying and singing and down by the river and all that sort of thing. And um, this, this town or this area, it, it really had a, a fascinating um, a history. Had like these workers' guilds, like a black a smith guild or a tent-making guild. And these guilds, these societies, these union-type things, they, they developed into like work, half work, and half uh, a blow-off steam. And they became very uh, seductive and sexual, even the guilds. And uh, this whole city then became saturated in uh, this kind of thing, this, this, this thing where it was normal and appropriate. And apparently this prophetess, who probably was a real person or lady in the church at the time, started bringing in this stuff into the church. Into the church. And you start to say to yourself, well, oh man, okay, well that's not right. Well really, 
Okay. Well, how many people in the United States, in the United States churches, don't obey what the Lord asked them to with respect to sex? You know, because church discipline basically is out the window now. <laughs> uh, nobody does church discipline anymore, even though the Bible says it to be true. And uh, even further, nobody uh, does things like confront people about their sexual sins. And yet here uh, we see that there was this uh, lady, Jeze Jezebel, probably her name wasn't Jezebel at this time, but was like the Jezebel of the Old Testament, who called herself a prophetess to teach and seduce her servants and to commit sexual immorality and to eat things, listen, I want you to mark that, to eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she didn't repent. Indeed, the Lord says, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her, listen to this, into, into great tribulation. There's going to be a time of repentance, even for this. Jezebel, you understand, right, that her husband, she was so influential in her husband, not that it was totally her fault, it wasn't her fault, it was both of them together, but her husband, it says in the book of Kings, did more wicked in the eyes of the Lord than any other king. They were a good team, or a bad team, however you want to say it, right? He, look, what I'm trying to tell you here is, look, the Lord even has compassion on the lowest, dirty, rotten sinner there is of whom I'm chief. Here he says, oh, I'm going to let her, give her a chance to repent, and if she doesn't, I will cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. Repent. Change your mind. Turn around. Go towards God. And all the churches shall know that I am he. Whew. I wish we really knew this. That I am he who searches the minds and hearts you see, the Lord's here, folks. We're a little peewee little fellowship in the middle of southwestern PA or the corner of southwestern PA. And the Lord is interested in us. And he is searching our hearts. And he looks into our hearts individually as leaders of the church, the pastor first. And he looks into our hearts and he cares and he wants to root out the vileness and the things that we should call sin, but we don't call sin anymore. We, we use generic and sterilized words so they don't sound so bad. Oh, I'm Irish. I have a bad temper. No, you're a sinner. Or, or whatever. Or I'm German. Or whatever. No, you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We're all sinners. Well, he says, I'm he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to to your works. Now to you I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine who have not known the depths of Satan. In other words, look at this, folks. What's happening to this church and to this church period is the depths of where Satan goes. This is the grossest of the gross, the vilest of the vile. This is dark and evil and no good. As they say, he says, the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have till I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my work unto the end, to him I will give power over the nations. Almost always now, you're going to see as we move out, as we move uh, down this line of seven churches, almost everyone is going to allude to the fact, the miraculous, startling, staggering fact that for those who are found in Jesus Christ and are raptured, and then the tribulation happens, and there could even be some tribulation saints, that's true too. But whoever uh, comes back with the Lord Jesus Christ uh, uh, as his army to rule and reign, listen, that's the point. You will rule and reign. There will be a place for you in the administration of Jesus Christ. I don't say it. He says it. If you'll overcome until the end, to him I'll give power over the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron. Of course, the Lord's ruling. He's just letting us participate. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessel. 
We're looking at Psalm 2 here, uh, Messianic Psalms. He will rule as the shepherd, but we will rule. Remember, there's even scripture that says we will be uh, participating in the judgment of angels. Can you hardly believe it? Even that doctrine right there, even that doctrine right there, right? Doesn't it want you to, doesn't it uh, have the impact of wanting you to press into the Lord? You ever been uh, elected for something and you don't feel like you're worthy of it or prepared for it? Have you ever? Like, you know, uh, you know, I don't know, Tim, I want you to t- talk in front of the, the you know, the, the Ohio Supreme Court. Ooh, okay, well, wait a second. I don't know about that. See, that's the point. You're going to be in charge, or not in charge, you're going to be participating in the judgment of angels. And when I think of that scripture, you know what I say? Oh, man, I'm not sure I'm qualified, and that's what the Lord says. I know, but I'll qualify you. He gives us the grace even to help there, you see. Well, here he says you're going to participate with power over the nations, as I also have received from my Father. Are you seeing that? You're going to participate in the coming kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. It gives you a big uh, uh, attitude adjustment for the weak. I mean, yes, sure. It's really a pain in the shorts when your, uh, uh, you know, your 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 uh, checking account gets uh, overdrafted. I get it, but it really ain't that big a deal. Not in the scheme of things. You understand what I mean? The flat tire. The uh, you, you know, you broke a nail. Uh, you didn't have your uh, best uh, shoes. Somebody took your putter out of your bag when you went to play golf, and there's no putter. And you, you ever have that happen? I have that happen all the time at my house. <clears throat> anyway, uh, as also I have received from my father, and I will give him. Listen to this, folks. It's so beautiful and wonderful. Don't say that the Book of Revelation scares you unless you know what the Book of Revelation is about. Because here what he's trying to tell you is, look at this, for those who overcome, you get me. The morning star, Revelation 22:16. that's another name for Jesus. In other words, he says, you get me. You get me. I get to be with you. You get me. You get me. That's such a beautiful song that we sang. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, listen, what do many people believe this Um, corrupt church represents. Well, many people believe it represents that period of church history called the Middle Ages and the reigns of the papacy or the popes. Do yourself a favor. Go go into around 900 uh, A.D. through about 980 A.D. and just read about the popes that went forward or, or reigned or whatever you want to call it during that time. There was a load of sexual immorality on, for public display uh, right there for everybody to witness. And you, I'm not saying it. All you have to do is go, if you, if you have a computer and you have Google or any other search engine, just go uh, uh, read it. It was some called the, the Time of the Harlots. The time of the harlots. It's when uh, uh, the church from Rome, uh, Rome ruled and reigned, uh, and it was very corrupt. Well, listen, sacrifice to idols. What does that mean? Well, there's this uh, doctrine in uh, that church that indicates that each Sunday that you take the bread and the uh, wine, you are actually taking the body and blood of Jesus Christ, which means, listen to this, that you're sacrificing every week. It's called transubstantiation. 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 What, 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 listen, listen. What did Jesus say on the cross? It is finished. He died once for all. He's the mediator now. That's going to get me to another point. He's the mediator between God and man, between God and man. You see, what happened was there were some Babylonian pagan rituals like worship some lady gods, bring them into the church, and all of a sudden you took the blessed Virgin Mary, who is blessed, but in her song recognizes that she needs a Savior. 
She's not co-redemptress. We don't pray through Mary to get to God. There's one mediator between God and man. And see, God doesn't like that. And these things became an offense to God. There were other things that happened. They would chain the Bibles to the altars so that only the clergy could read them and keep you in the dark. Instead of knowing the word yourself. And lest you think I'm up here bashing the church from Rome, hold on to your hat for the next sequence. But this lasted for about, you know, from about 600 to 1500. And many people believe that's what this church represents here in the history of the church as we move through it. Well, what happened? as we moved through these years, well, you, you know it, right? A Catholic priest named William Tyndale, he got upset with it. He started to see that these things weren't so according to the Scriptures, and he started to rebel. And one thing that he wanted to do, Tyndale, you guys know it, Tyndale Ministries, what did they want to do? They wanted to get the Word of God to the people. And Many of his followers, some of his followers, after he had died and gone away, were burnt at the stake for disobeying the official verdicts of the church or the, you know, the decisions or the decrees of the church. And in came people like, oh, I don't know, Martin Luther, He's born, you know, and uh, his father and mother say, no more uh, mine working in our family. And so they prayed for him, and Martin Luther grew up, and uh, he uh, was taught by uh, uh, the folks in the Roman church, and uh, he had a tough time uh, uh, um, taking all his thoughts captive for Christ. Do you remember this? There's famous stories of him beating himself uh, with whips and uh, couldn't get his uh, a carnal nature under control. And one time he set out, did you know this, that he set out, he was going to have an audience with the Pope, and so he was walking through the mountains, and uh, uh, he caught death of cold, and he had to be laid up for a while, and he, he uh, is laying there and uh, going through the scriptures in his head, and it, Habakkuk, you don't think Habakkuk's important? Habakkuk comes to mind, and it says, the just shall live by faith. And he goes, aha! It's all about grace. And that started, you know this, he, he went and he, he, he prepared a thesis and he wrote it and knocked it up on the door up there on the uh, Wittenberg Church. What a great, that should be a, what a great university here in the United States, Wittenberg. But anyway, that's where I went, by the way. Uh, but anyway, uh, and the Reformation started. So why am I telling you that? Because the next period, most people believe, represent that part of history of the church. So let's read it. The, first, the, the church that we just read was the corrupt church, Thyra Tyra. But did you notice I want you to notice, if you're listening, if you're listening here, if you're listening on Facebook, I want you to notice to the corrupt church, the Lord said, just repent and come back to me. I don't care what system you came out of. I don't care if they're relics or idolatrous things. I don't care, the Lord said. He does care, but you know what I'm saying? He had compassion, and he said, just come to me. Just come in simplicity. Just come back to me and repent, and you will be an overcomer, and you'll have the bright and morning star. You'll have me. Isn't that beautiful? Well, we go to the next one. So you think, well, okay, Tim's up there bashing a certain church. Well, not really. The Lord is putting these together, and look what he says about the next period of time, which is the Reformation period. He calls this the dead church. He calls this, in a sense, inoffensive or unoffensive Christianity. Listen to this. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now that's fascinating to me. 
because we're going to get to, you're going to understand here that he's talking about, wow, these folks do a lot of stuff, looks good, uh, but, but they're dead. Outside, they're beautiful. Inside, they're dead. So why, guys, look what he does. I love it. He talks about the sevenfold ministry again of the Holy Spirit. Guess what happens, folks, in the United States church? There's a group of people in the church that are so scared of the abuses of the Holy Spirit that they just want to put their head in the sand and say, oh, they don't even want to talk about the Holy Spirit. And then there's a group of people that are so outlandish with the Holy Spirit, you know it ain't the Holy Spirit. It ain't the Holy Spirit. It's something they've concocted in their heads. And they're doing it in a way in which is deceptive and untrue and false. And it's not biblical. But yet there is a middle ground, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible tells us not to quench the Holy Spirit. And here Jesus says, hey, remember, I'm the one who has the seven spirits of God. Speaking of the Sevenfold ministry found in Isaiah uh, chapter 11, verse 2. And the seven stars, and the seven stars. Do you remember what the stars are? The stars are the angels of the seven churches, which could be angels, yes, or could be the pastors or the leadership. And he holds them up and he says, man, you've lost the Holy Spirit here, not by might, or your power, but by the Holy Spirit, says the Lord, Zacharias tells us, right? And especially you leaders in the church, you're so scared of your own shadow, you won't tell the people about the Holy Spirit, right? Or you're so scared of the abuses, you won't tell people of the Holy Spirit, or, or vice versa. You get what I'm saying. Well, I know your works, he says, because Jesus knows, and he's interested in the people, just like my wife at the North Shore of Hawaii. We all want to get to the events. What is the number of the beast? When is he coming back? Put up the charts. The Lord says, hold on here. I'm first most interested in the people. I'll give you the outline. I'll give you, this, is, this is an unfolding thing. My, my program will unfold, but first I want to stop and take time for the people. Here he says, I know your works, that you have a name. You, in other words, you have a reputation. You've got a reputation here, Sardis, that you are alive. There's lots of activity, but you're dead. There's lots of activity at your church. And then he says this, be watchful, be watchful. And strengthen the things which remain. But you folks don't really know what he's really saying there because you might not know the history of Sardis. Well, Sardis was uh, uh, up on a great big hill, a fantastic hill, like a mountain. There were valleys, you know, just all the way around this city. It was perched up on a hill. And uh, in the 500s B.C., guess what? King Cyrus, who also conquered Babylon, guess what he did? He gets to Sardis, and he's like, huh, how are we going to get that? How are we going to take this city? How, how in the world could we take this city? So he said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to surround the place, and we're just going to sit here for a while. We're going to watch. And we're going to see if they make a mistake or they're impatient or something that gives us a little clue. And after several days of watching and uh, the whole shooting match, he sees a helmet the army, the army down below, Cyrus's army sees a helmet fall down the hill. Like, okay, they're like, okay, we got something now. A little while longer, they see a soldier come out of this area, picks up his helmet and goes back in the area. Guess what they found? The hatch door. And Cyrus overtook them uh, there at uh, Sardis. Well, uh, he takes it, and he uh, gets a complaint. Oh, by the way, they were supposed to have watchmen on the wall. They had no watchmen, uh, uh, they say. About uh, 300 years later, the same thing by another army happened to the uh, Cyrus group. Same exact thing. They came around. They found the uh, trapdoor places in there, and they overtook uh, Sardis. And, and, and so that city had a history. Listen to this. That city has a history of not watching 
not being on guard, not being vigilant, not being alert. Are you getting what I'm saying here? And so if you go back now and you see, well, Sardis, I know your reputation. you got a lot of stuff going on, but you're forgetting one thing. You're forgetting to be alert to the fact that there's nothing inside. There's nothing inside. You are dead, but be watchful. He says, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. In other words, there probably was some giving of the Scriptures. There probably was some teaching. You can go back in Acts 2.42 and find the quote-unquote formula of the early church. And I'm sure they knew it. Just continue steadfastly, right? In the apostles' doctrine, in praise, in worship and prayer, and just be a people who break bread together. You don't need to pay $75,000 for a church marketing study, folks. It's already in the Bible. Just do that. Well, anyway, uh, apparently these, these were people that have done some of these things, like studied the Word, studied the doctrine, but they were ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect, which means mature or finished, before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and how are you to receive. Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, how are we to receive the word? We should be receiving it right now. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God which also effectively works in you who believe. When you come in here and you're like, okay, i got to listen to that guy again for, you know, all that time. But, but are you saying this? These are the very words of God. Straight from the throne room of heaven, folks. Straight from the throne room of heaven. And I just want to show you something. This is, this is going to seem harsh. Folks online, this is going to seem harsh. Look how many, look how little people are here to receive it. It doesn't matter to me in the sense that I'm looking for a big church or something like that. Here's how it matters to me. I hurt for the people who are not receiving the word. And I hurt for the people who are not coming together in fellowship as the Lord has asked us to. Now listen, we're in some strange circumstances, and some people have some amazingly legitimate reasons not to come, of course. But I'm worried that the church, here and at large, here and at large, are sometimes using this pandemic as an excuse not to fellowship. Should we be careful? Yes. Should we wear our masks? Of course. But I just have a feeling this is happening. And here he says, don't do that. He says, uh, you, uh, remember, therefore, how you've received. You've received these things as the word of God. And one thing that the word of God says is don't forsake assembling together. Why do you think he says that? Do you think he says it's because he wants the pastors to be famous and drive around in big cars and have cool uh, $1,000 tennis shoes? No. He wants it because it's the safest and best and healthiest place for all of us to be as we come together, receive the word, explain the word, worship with God, pray together, and sharpen one another, and then go out and love a dying and hurting world. Well, hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, look at this, look at this. If you won't watch, Jesus says, I'm going to come upon you as a thief. In other words, I'm going to come so quickly. I, I don't necessarily think it means in time from the time John was writing this. It means when it starts to happen, it's going to go bang so quickly. I'm going to come upon you as a thief, and you won't know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments. Isn't this beautiful? There's always a remnant. There's always a remnant in every one of these churches. There's always a remnant. There's those faithful few. There was in the corrupt church. I want you to see that. There was in the corrupt church. There is here in the dead church. He says, you have those who have not defiled their garments. 
In other words, they are reveling and receiving the grace of God because you know that you get robed with his righteousness, which means that's grace. And they're receiving the grace, and they know that they're counting on the finished work of Christ and his resurrection, and that they're going to be robed. They're going to put off the old man and take on the new man, which is Christ. And they, look at this, I love it so much, I can hardly stand it. It speaks of the most intimate time. They're going to walk with me. Don't ever say that song. I know there's people who, that song, he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. I think it's packed full of the most theology in the Bible because that's the whole story of the Bible. He will walk with the overcomers, but we're overcomers only by faith. I read it to you last week in 1 John. It's by faith receiving the grace of God. Gosh, do you understand Enoch walked with God and was taken up? And you say to yourself, well, man, that was Enoch. I mean, he was such a great guy. I mean, he was such... Listen, the Lord is telling you and me, for those who are found in Christ, you're going to walk with him. What would you ever be scared of dying for? No, no one wants to fall out of a plane or get burned up or die that way. But to be absent from here is to be present with him, received into his arms for eternity. You're going to get a glorified, resurrected body, and then you're going to come here and rule and reign with him. What a program. Here, you're going to be walking with him. For those who overcome, you'll walk with him in white, for they are worthy. You're only worthy because he is worthy, it's telling us. Isn't that beautiful? So, he who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. By the way, I I love this. Just, I want you to see it. I know you know the verse. I could recite it to you. But I want you to see it. Go to Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount. You ever, you ever read this? You ever read this and go, what? Could this be true? Matthew 5, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart. I want you to, if you don't remember anything else tonight, I hope you remember this. Blessed are the pure in heart, happy, joyful are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, turn back to what we were just reading. See, what I think this is saying here in the dead church is, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Pray that you're not dead anymore inside, dead spiritually. Pray that the Holy Spirit would fill you, come into your life as you count on Jesus for your salvation. He's justified you and now given you his righteousness, right? And now the Holy Spirit of God is going to come uh, live in your heart. Listen, and one day you will see God pure in heart. You're going to be walking with Jesus talking with Jesus, walking and talking with Jesus. Listen, and blessed are the pure in heart. Look, look, I don't want the suits. I don't care about the Lexus or the BMW or the big house on the hill. I just want you, Jesus. Blessed are the pure in heart. Just this pure faith. I just want you, Lord. You're going to walk with the Lord. Matthew 5, 8. Well, here he says this shall be clothed in white garments, and I'll not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Well, some people get hung up on this verse. They want to know, can you lose your salvation? Can you not lose your salvation? I don't think that's the point of this verse. The first thing I kind of want you to see is everybody's name's in the book. God's heart is that none would perish, but that all would receive eternal life. Did you see what has to happen here? It's not like he's writing into the book, then erasing out of the book. It's blotting out. God's heart is that none would perish. He's not slack concerning his promise. He's waiting, for uh, Second Peter tells us, in the church age, which is what we're in right now. Why is he waiting? He tells us in Peter, because he wants more salvation, if that's a way of saying it. So, 
I don't know that this is a scripture to tell us, you know, saved, not saved, saved, once saved, always saved, all that sort of thing. But I do know this, there is a book of life. It says to us in Luke 10 to rejoice when your names are written in heaven in the book. Luke 10, 20. And there are several places in which, uh, you know, the Bible refers to being written in the book of life. So, uh, what I'm just trying to tell you is, is that you want your name in the book of life, however that is. See, you're, you, you, all we know by reading the entire Bible that our name is in there, whether it was, was in there or whatever. It's in there, and you know how you can say it's in there? Because of the blood of Jesus. That's how your name's in there. It's not because you witnessed to 75,000 people. It's not because you gave money in the box. It's because of the blood of Jesus Christ. You're in the book. How do I know? Because when I go to the great white throne judgment and God opens up the books, you know what he says over there at the great white throne judgment at the, book, uh, at the end of Revelation? He goes, okay, now I'll judge you because I'm going to be perfectly fair on your works. Which means... Those who are in the book of life are judged based on his works. We have his righteousness, folks. You see it? So beautiful. Well, anyway, so he says, I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I'll confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear uh, what the Spirit says to the churches. This seems to be, it seems to be that this is uh, that period of time called the Reformation. The Reformation, from approximately 1500 uh, to 1700, and it started out great, of course, the Reformation, of course. <laughs> Sola subscripture, you, you know what I'm trying to say, I'm tired. Uh, uh, <laughs> you know, by faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone, you, you know all of these, and, and that it's by faith, or faith through grace, and, and this, and it, you don't have to go through a priest. Why would you have to go through a priest? The Bible says don't even uh, call anybody on earth father. The Bible actually says that. Why would I have to go through a priest? I go through the one mediator that is effective, the great high priest, Jesus Christ. Right, and that's wonderful and that's great. But Protestantism, by the way, Protestantism, protestism. It's the people who protested against, you see. But what happened was, as the, of course, what a beautiful uh, movement. We, we preach it and we love it. But what happens is, as we move farther and farther away from what we believe and what we understand, what happens? We become dead. And you can go around. It's so sad. You can go to the denominational churches of, of which this building was one. And there's nobody in them. And you go to Europe and there's nobody in these great edifices that were built during the Reformation, and it's sad, and you want to cry. Because it was never about the activities, or the committees, or the building. Although you like the building to meet somewhere, but it's not about these great edifices. Well, the Methodists have that building, but the Episcopalians, woof, through the roof. It's not about the fundraisers. It's not about the chicken dinners we can have downstairs. It's not about bingo night. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. He's the one. He's our guide. He's our all in all. He's our life. He's what should permeate out of everything we do. If we're having a Wednesday night dinner, it's in the name of Jesus. If we go take people uh, some clothes, here you go. We love you. Yes, we're from Calvary Chapel, but we're not doing it in the name of Calvary Chapel. We're doing it in the name of Jesus. Why would you, why would you smile all the time at work? Why? Because I love Jesus. Dead. They're the dead church, the ineffective Christianity. Oh. How horrible, folks, to go all that time to the church, to the church, to the church, and be completely dead and none of it matter. What a waste. Well, he goes on and he says, well, 
Okay, well, let's look at a faithful church, the Lord says. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, these things says he, he who is holy and he who is true. He who is holy and he who is true. Uh, Be holy for I am holy, Leviticus tells us. In other words, Jesus is saying, you got it right about who I am, church. There's some churches, we know, we've been studying it, that don't get it right with respect to who Jesus is. Here, uh, I'm God, he says, basically. He who is holy, he who is true, Isaiah 57. He who has the key to David. He who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. So beautiful. This comes from Isaiah 22. Isaiah 22. uh, I'm going to take you there just real quickly. Isaiah 22, oh, verse 22, how about that? There was this thing that was happening in 2 Kings 18. This, this secretary named Shebna was basically skimming off the top in the, in, the house of, or, or in the house of the king. So it says here, then it be, in verse 20, it shall be in that day that I'll call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah. I will call him with your robe and strengthen him with your belt. In other words, you're fired. I'm hiring somebody else. You've been ripping us off. And I'm going to strengthen him with your belt, and I'll commit your responsibility into his hand. He will be like a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. And the key of the house of David I will lay, look, I will lay on his shoulder. In other words, I'm giving you the authority here now to conduct business. You see that? Okay, that was given to this new guy to take over for Shebna. Hold on now. So he shall be open and no one shall shut, and he shall shut and no one will open. I mean, he has the keys to the kingdom. He's got the money. I'll fasten him as a peg in a secure place. Catch it. Catch it. I'm going to pound him up on the wall, secure place. And he will become a glorious throne to his father's house. He's going to be real sturdy. We'll be able to hang stuff on him. He's going to be stable and solid. They will hang on him all the glory of the father's house, the offspring and the posterity, all vessels of small quantity from the cups to all the pitchers. And that day, says the Lord of hosts, the peg that is fastened in the secure place will be removed and be cut down. Well, listen, that happened uh, in Second Kings, just like I told you. But it speaks of the one who fastened himself to the tree, you see, Jesus Christ. And we hung many burdens on him. But anyway, what this is talking about back here is that the one who has this key laid upon his shoulder has all authority. You have the keys to the kingdom. That's what he's saying. Isaiah 22. I know your works. See, I've set before you an open door. Open door always speaks of evangelism in the New Testament. You could go to several places. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, 2 Corinthians 2, 12, Colossians 4, 13. Speaks of an open door. I had an open door to go share the gospel. In other words, the love of these people in Philadelphia, they were a sharing the gospel church. You get it? And they were doing it all in the name and authority of of the one who could open and shut the kingdom, Jesus. They were about others. They knew they were in the church age and that many needed to come into the kingdom. So they shared and they shared and they shared. They had an open door and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength. (laughs) You say, well, what do you mean? What do you mean I have a little strength? They knew... In their own strength, they were weak, but with Jesus, they were strong. They depended upon the Lord. That's what it's telling you here. They were a gospel-sharing church. They depended upon the Lord, and you've kept uh, my word. They were faithful to God. Did you catch that? They've kept my word. Now, folks, listen to me. It's not enough to get your your Bible verse cards and write them out. Bible says, hide your, thy word in, in my heart and you'll keep from sinning. Remember this? It's not just the card. If you write out the card, it's not magical. The way in which you keep the word of God is when you submit your will to what the passage is saying. Just don't put it up on your refrigerator. Take all thoughts captive for Christ. 
but wait till my wife leaves. I'm going to get the porn out going. I mean, I said the verse. Um, no gossip. Man, I can't wait to get to uh, the game tonight and talk to Sally or Bill or somebody about, oh, that guy, he's such a bad di- What? You've memorized the verse, but you're not submitting your will to the verse, and neither am I. And here it says this church kept his word. He kept his word. He kept his word. He didn't just read it. It is great to read it. Keep reading it. But then submit to it. That's what this church had going for it. They had a little strength. They depended upon the Lord. They shared the gospel. They kept his word, uh, didn't deny his name. They, they shouted it out from the rooftops. Indeed, I'll make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet. There's some scriptures in Isaiah. We talked about it where the enemies of God would come and be worshiping among the, those who believe. I'll give you the uh, references if you want. We talked about those in Isaiah, I'll make them come, worship at your feet, because you have kept my commands to persevere. I will also will keep you from the hour of trial. Come on, man. There it is. That church right there, those people right there, they're not going to be in the tribulation. They'll be raptured. They're going to be raptured out. I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Those who dwell on the earth, that's a way of saying non-believers. Because even though you dwell here, folks, look at me. Even though you dwell here, you're already seated in heaven. Earth dwellers, though, see, he's going to test those. Behold, I'm coming quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple. I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Fascinating. Solomon in 1 Kings, Old Testament, he made two pillars and he wrote on them, established by God, and I can't remember the other one, but I'll go look it up here in a minute. And here he says, you're going to be a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. He shall go out no more. That's a reference to what was happening in Philadelphia. Philadelphia was beset by earthquakes. What this saying is, when you are a person who lives their life for Jesus, you're going to be stable and strong, established by God, and you're never going to have to be unsafe or insecure anymore. You don't have to leave the city when the earthquake comes or come back. You're going to be in the heavenly city. That's what that says. Well, I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I'll write on him my new name. Now, this is where I got to make, tell you I made a mistake on Sunday. And one of my great Berean friends pointed it out to me. See, when Jesus comes back, he's going to have something on his thigh, a tattoo or something. And it's not going to be, by the way, the word of God. He's called the Word of God in Revelation 19, but in Revelation 19, 16, he's going to come back and it's going to be printed on his thigh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's his name, but you're going to get some names, including the names of Jerusalem. You belong with God in Jerusalem. I have a story about that, but I'll, I, I got to go because you've you're, you got to go. So here, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches and to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans. By the way, I want you to see this. He doesn't say to the angel of the church of Laodicea. He says of the Laodiceans. It's the only church he says that about because this word, Laodicea, means the rule, means the rule of the people. We do church by popular opinion. That's what that's saying right there. It's not the church of Laodicea. It's the church of the Laodiceans. In other words, he's saying, whatever the group says, that's what we do. That's a horrible way to do church, folks. I'm not talking about me being the boss of any church. Jesus is the boss of the church. We do what the Lord shows us to do, not what the majority of the people say to do. You get it? And that's what he's saying right here. These people went with the culture. These things says the amen, the faithful and true witness. That's in Isaiah 65, 16, by the way. 
He's saying, you're doing it all wrong, but if you, Isaiah 5, 16 through 17, he's saying, but if you don't do it wrong, if you do it right, you'll be in the new heavens and the new earth. Look up 65 of Isaiah after tonight. I wish I had time to go there. I know your works, that you're neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. Now, why is he saying this here with the Laodiceans? Because the Laodiceans had a pretty uh, wealthy uh, uh, town. They had all kinds of textiles. You know what that is, clothes, textiles. They had all kinds of uh, um, business and commerce. They were even famous for an eye salve. No kidding, an eye salve, okay? And, uh, but they had one problem. They were very uh, vulnerable because they didn't have a water source. So they said, aha, here's what we'll do. We'll go to that town. I forget the name of the town. starts with an H. Six miles away. We'll build an aqueduct from their hot springs, and we'll move it in to, La- uh, to Laodicea. And they did it. The problem was they didn't account for the six miles. And by the time it got there, when they would use it for anything, it would be not cold, not hot, lukewarm. And Jesus is saying here, I know your works that you're neither cold nor hot, and you know it. You know what it's like when it's lukewarm stuff. It's icky. It's gross. It does no good. You can't use it. I'd rather it be cold or hot. Why would the Lord rather us be hot? So that we would run to the warmth, that we would try to get warm. When you're lukewarm, it doesn't matter. Here he says, uh, I wish you were cold or you were hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. One pastor said this, lukewarm is the one who has just enough of Jesus to think they have enough. So let's think about an example in the Bible. The thief on the cross, freezing cold, saw his need. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Let's talk about one who was blazing hot, John. He was hot to the words of Jesus. He became the apostle of love. He just had this beautiful, beloved relationship with Jesus. Let's Let's think about one who was lukewarm, Judas. You know, Judas was close enough to Jesus to be considered an apostle. And you know the rest of the story. So he says, I don't want you to be lukewarm. I don't want you to be hot or cold. I want want you to be, uh, I don't want you to be lukewarm uh, of cold and hot. I want you to be hot. But I will vomit you out of my mouth if you're lukewarm. Because you say, I am rich. I've become wealthy and I have need of nothing. That was the problem. Popular opinion. Well, let's, let's mark it over here to the rich people. Get them in the church. We'll get more money in the box. We'll get some, you know, rock wall. We'll get stuff up here on the stage. It'll look so cool. People want to come from everywhere. They'll want to come. It'll be, it'll be amazing. We'll get more people in the church. We'll get, we'll get more likes on Instagram. Uh, maybe the pastor will write a book. We'll do a CD up here. We'll get things. We'll get really famous, and we'll get more money. And then we'll start building stuff, and the pastor can live right, and everybody can do things, and it'll be amazing and that's what we'll do, okay? And yes, we'll do that. Popular opinion. He says, you, you, you say you have needed nothing and do not know that you are actually wretched, miserable, poor, blind. He says, even though you're rich, you're poor. Even though you have the eye salve, you're blind. Nothing can save you. And you're naked. The textiles aren't doing you any good. I counsel you to buy from me. Listen, here's what I'm telling you to do. You're not going to believe what the Lord says. He says, go back into persecution. That's what he says right here. I wish you would just go back into persecution. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. Go back into the fire. You really want to follow me? Go into the fire. How about saying that in America? Nobody wants to hear that. In the fire, that you may be what? Rich and white garments that you may be clothed. Get back to grace. Get back to grace that the shame of your nakedness may be not revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. You know this. Therefore, be jealous or zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door. You see how he just, at the end of the church age, look at this. At the end of the church age, folks, at the end of the church age. Am I saying that enough? 
He just says, and he won't stop. I mean, he might because he's not irritating. But I'm knocking, I'm knocking. Would you, if you just let me in, I will come in, and I won't just dine with you, by the way. I'm not going to have a snack with you. He says, he uses the word for the most important dinner in the uh, Jewish world. I come into the, the midday important lunch or supper so that I can linger with you and get to know you. Open the door. I'll come in and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. See the theme again? As I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, how many days, and I'll quit, how many days is one day to the Lord? And a thousand years is like how many days? Okay. Turn with me over to Hosea 6.2, and I'll leave you at this. Um, by the way, the Laodicean church is from, oh, the Philadelphia church is the 1700s and the 1800s, the era of missions. William Carey, Hudson Taylor, uh, all those folks, Spurgeon in England, D.L. Moody here in America. It's the age of the missionaries. What's the Laodicean church? It's us. 1900 forward, most people believe. I want to show you one last thing. I want you to think about this until next week. How many days, a thousand days to the Lord is like how many days? One day to the Lord is like how many days? Read verse 2 of Hosea chapter 6. After two days he will revive us. On the third day he will raise us up that we may live in his sight. How many years ago did Jesus go to ascend? Ballpark? How many? A couple thousand. We've gone through the church age. We're in the Laodicean age, folks. Here's what I would propose. This is not scary (laughs) for those who are in Christ. Jesus is going to come in the clouds soon. And we're going to be caught up with him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this evening and for these people who want to know your word. And Lord, I pray that you would do a mighty work in our hearts. Lord, that we would desire you more than anything else. That you'd help us in this regard. Lord, that we'd get rid of the fakeness, the phoniness, the deadness. I know these are not words, but Lord, you'd revive us. You'd give us new life. Lord, I pray that you would do what you did with the disciples on the road to Emmaus. You would explain the scriptures to us as long as we're here and have our hearts burn within us, Lord, because we're zealous for you through your word by the Spirit Come, Lord Jesus, quickly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. Well, God bless you guys, and uh, I'm sorry I took so long, and uh, have a great evening.